0: What's up? FT Live, Braun, Kratz, Pruszynski, Ken Rosenthal joining us very soon, and some really cool interviews coming up in hour number two. Go ahead, AJ. You can name drop. What do you got going on?
1: Nothing. I'm just trying to play golf that you guys won't let me. I don't know what you want me to tell you.
2: Well, tell me about your golf. What's your Who are you golfing with, kid? Can you see that sign? I don't know what that means. It looks pretty cool, though. Hold on, wait. I see it. I see it. Are you getting some free golf balls out of it? I don't know what
1: Grove Grove Twenty Two is. Well, you can't add. Drove Twenty Three. You didn't move the camera far enough. <laughs> who's Who's the most famous number Twenty Three? You know,
0: Jordan. Besides Jordan, oh Jordan. <laughs>
1: I wore Twenty Three <laughs> when I was in
2: Houston. Is this like a yeah, leeway exactly. into the <laughs> Astros <laughs> Rangers talk? Okay. Yes,
1: exactly, exactly. Sure. Uh, there's some There's some semi famous famous people here today. Most famous besides Jordan, that's here today. Yeah, Justin Thomas, uh, Jr. Smith. Um, yeah, that's more famous. Brad Hand. Um, what? The hand. Brad Hand there. that won't come on our show, and I wore him out today about it. Uh, who else is here? Dwight Freeney. He's an NFL Hall of Famer. Yeah. I mean, there's some there's some people that Kane Brown, singer.
2: Last thing: Are you going to score? Are you going to score I, well at
1: this tournament? N- okay, so tomorrow is I play in the tournament. Today I'm just I got to play one hole before Scott needed me to do something with David Ortiz. Oh, so that I made means. I made a four, and then that was it. And I was like, "All right, guys, see you later. I gotta go." Oh, that's perfect. As long as it wasn't
2: a par three, a four is perfect. <laughs> it was not a par three; it was a par four. So I This par- name drop
0: experience has been brought to you uh, by even even after that, he's like, "Oh, and, and Scott made me, you know, step aside so that I could catch up with David Ortiz."
1: He's so life's tough. Life's well, I mean, Kratz. You know, Kratz was afraid of Big Poppy, so I get it.
0: <laughs> Big Bobby he is heard. afraid of Kratz because he doesn't know his name. I watched that interview this morning from Fox. Kratz was freaking hilarious. By the way, uh, he was even at the end of the interview. Kevin Burkhart was hosting, and he's like, "Sorry about them, whatever." And Kratz is like, "It's it's cool, Kevin. I didn't play with you, so you don't have to know my name." <laughs> it was good. It was a good five minutes. You watch it, you're like, oh, "That guy should do
1: uh, media." He should. Hey, that's he should why be KB. That's why KB's doing the Super Bowl.
0: That's right. <laughs> Don't get me started. Um, let's charge the damn mound, shall we? Because we spent many, many hours with the FT fam um during last night's game, NLCS, game two, and many laughs with Jonathan Pappelbahn, if you want to listen to that watch party. It doesn't even matter. Obviously, you know what happened in the game, whatever, just the Stories that went on for three hours are incredible. And we'll put some of those out there on our socials and on YouTube breakout clips coming up over the next few days. But did a post-game show on the Domination crats by Philadelphia. This was not close. And it was the homers early, given up by Merrill Kelly. Solo jobs, but no help from the offense. And then the bullpen unraveled in the sixth and the seventh and... You're looking at this team like, how are they not going to make it to the World Series? This I know it's only 2 0, it's not 3 0, but this would be one of the bigger upsets in recent memory if the Diamondbacks somehow came back, won enough games in AZ to, to send it back to Philadelphia and then beat them at their spot. Like, who the hell is seeing that right now?
2: I just don't see where it would happen because, you know, you're going to, you know, there's going to be regression. Nick Castellanos hasn't hit a homer in like six at bats, so he's slumping. Um, you know, Schwarber's hit three homers. So there's no way he's going to hit another one, right? Well, they scored 10 runs. Like the entire lineup is having good at bats for the Phillies. And the exact opposite is having, is what's happening with the D-backs. They are not getting pitches in their zones to hit. The Phillies have done a great job of executing pitches. And I don't know, obviously, you know, the pitching matchups are going to be less, less in the NOLA, Merrill Kelly, and Wheeler, Zach Gallen. But it doesn't go in the Diamondbacks' favor. And I don't see – I would love to see what the numbers are to see if the Diamondbacks come back and win this series right now because it would be it would be a historic collapse that I don't even know how, how they would navigate it, honestly, watching these first two games.
1: How would they – it would be historic for me if they even get back to Philadelphia. <laughs> I just, I'm fair. serious. I mean, yeah, no fair. To, to fought and, you know, whoever starts game four for the Diamondbacks, but the way Philly's rolling, the way they're hitting, the way they're pitching, the way, listen, it's more about you guys, again, Scott was on with us when we talked to David Ortiz and he talked about it. He's like, it's the way you feel. And it's the way you take the field in the playoffs. and It's the way you look. And it's how like confident you are in the Phillies. I said it last night on the watch party and I'll <laughs> say it again today. There's one team on earth I could play for right now. I want to play for the Phillies because these dudes are badasses. They take the field like badasses. They're having a blast. Everyone's in on it together. The fans are behind them. The team's behind them. And I I just find it hard that they're going to lose two games in Arizona.
2: I want to see see what what Seawall says about this. I don't feel like the Phillies are like a team that you're like, oh, I hate when they do that. Or I hate like – you know what I mean? And maybe I'm maybe Are you I'm saying not, like Houston yeah.
0: fits that category just based on them becoming kind of this evil empire of winning and the cheating or, scandal and all of that?
2: Yeah, or like, you know, like extra celebrations, that kind of thing that kind of gets under people's crawl. I always call it chrome. When a guy wears more than three pieces of chrome, he's just gonna be annoying to you if you're on the other team. We call that flair. No, I'm kidding. Flair. <laughs> no, like, like shenanigans. Like shenanigans. But- By the way, I did homework
0: for you, Kratz. Minus 900 for the Phillies to take this series, plus 600 for the Diamondbacks.
2: I thought it'd be more. Be honest.
0: Okay.
1: I'm not. In, in
0: comparison with the Rangers up 2-0 in their series, they're minus 450 and the Astros are plus 360 there. So, people, it is people, quite people the difference. People
1: believe in the Astros more. That's why. We've of course. Oh. We've asked this many times though, right? Of course. Who do you believe in more? And because of the road. And the Astros have been it. there. The Astros they've have done it. That's the thing. Like so that people just believe the Astros can do it. And it's I don't know if the Astros can do it. I think we're looking at a Rangers Phillies World Series, which will be great because there's mucho star power in that. But at the same time, like the Astros could do it, but it, it's I also think it's unlikely that they do it.
2: How does Fox feel about that? I know Fox likes their marquee matchups. Would that be their? Would that be their favorite? Which one? Rangers, Rangers Phillies, or would they like? Yes. They, have they gotten? I would more say yes. Houston, well, no, Pub.
1: They, no, because they did it last year. I think Houston, Philly wouldn't bring as much, and plus people. Listen, I hate to say this because I like covering the Astros, but people are just kind of tired of the Astros story at this point. <laughs> I, I mean, it sucks because they're yeah. so good, right? People are just like, ah, no, the Astros again. Like, you know, the, it's different if it's New York or Boston because of all the all the stuff that comes with the Yankees and the Red Sox. But for some reason, the Astros, people are like, oh gosh, the Astros again. And and, and I think they're a great team. I think they're very entertaining. They have stars, um, but the Rangers with with you know Scherzer with. Seeger with Simeon with some of the young guys they have i think i think fox would be very happy with that now if you go just off straight viewership and i haven't heard this from anybody at fox i would think they want the diamondbacks out as soon as possible because they just don't get the viewers at the other right especially philadelphia
2: no doubt
0: i think the astros rangers series from what i saw i just looked at headlines i'm not reading every little thing about ratings i'm not a numbers nerd on that but it looked like They were pretty good. I mean, you can really dominate the state of Texas with a rivalry like that. And yeah, Houston is technically a larger market, but like AJ said, the rest of the country has seen a lot of Houston. And I think there's always intrigue when there's a team that is breaking through on a particular storyline, right? Whether it's a team that hasn't been in the postseason for a while, which technically is Texas. It's been a minute, but then taking it a step further, This team's never won a World Series. So it gets to a point where you go, oh, they're a new franchise. They're not that new. (laughs) No. It's been a a long time since the Texas Rangers were born, and they have not won a World Series, and they have been very, very freaking close in the not-too-distant past. So I think when you add all that up, plus the star power on both sides, I think there are not many dudes anymore that can sell, right? Especially on the starting pitching side. But Max Scherzer sells, right? And we'll see what he looks like. But I think he sells. I think there's people that are like, oh, I want to see Scherzer. He's crazy during the playoffs, right? I just want to see what he looks like, whether it's good or bad. I think someone like that stands out.
1: Right? Yeah, I agree. Million percent. Yeah, yeah. That's what I'm saying. Scherzer. Even Montgomery's made a name for himself. We forget Montgomery played for the Yankees, so people know him. True. Right? true. all played for the Red Sox, and everyone remembers him in 2018. You know when he pitched what 125 pitches in the extra innings to like the 19th inning, whatever it was. I mean, people know these guys. These are names that people know. But the Astros, they know the names too. But again, for some reason, there's just a maybe it's the the trash can thing. But there's just like a gosh, the Astros again when you talk to people.
2: Yeah, maybe kind of like maybe kind of like the Patriots, always getting, always always there and always just like a level of consistency that you're like. Like, when not are they anymore there,
1: though. Tommy, Tommy, Tommy is not there anymore. It's been a little rough oh, for the Twam,
2: don't tell our produce, don't tell our director Jeremy, Tuam Brady is not there. <laughs> <laughs> FT senior insider Ken Rosenthal
0: covering the series for Fox ALCS Game 3 coming up. So, Ken, what's going on with Max Scherzer? What should we expect from him? Because it sounds like he doesn't even completely know what to expect until he's out there. And I know he's an adrenaline junkie, so it's probably going to be better than he thinks it is
3: well the way he put it to me the other day was all right i threw 68 pitches in a simulated game how does that translate to a postseason game and he was asking the question because he didn't know the answer now obviously there is more adrenaline in a postseason game but there's also greater strain on every pitch so we really don't know what's going to happen tonight and another interesting wrinkle here is that if you go back to 2019 Game 7 of the World Series, Scherzer pitched with those neck spasms that he had. He told me that when he did that, his arm was in great shape. It wasn't his arm. So this is different because his arm feels better, but it's not built up. So it's really difficult to know what's going to happen tonight. He's not going 6, okay? But if they get 3 or 4 out of him, they have other length options on their roster, a number of them, from Dane Dunning and Andrew Heaney to Martin Perez and Cody Bradford. John Gray can give you an inning or two. They have guys to go to. It's just a question of how Max pitches effectively and how long he can go. So
0: what about um, the health status of Jordan Alvarez? And, and technically, Ken, I kind of feel weird asking this because for performance purposes, doesn't clearly really matter. I mean, <laughs> he, I, I know he didn't play well in game one, but it sounded like he was basically just as sick if not sicker for game two and I don't know I think most teams would take
3: two home runs in that scenario he was at batting practice yesterday for their workout he looked fine he didn't look so fine before game two so I would expect that he is going to be 100% good to go and you're right Scott it's interesting we've seen so often in athletics that guys who are less than 100% because of an illness or something like that can perform at a high level sometimes people say it sharpens their focus. I don't know if he needs sharpened focus. He's pretty locked in as it is, and he wasn't feeling well, but what he did was amazing. This guy is one of the great postseason performers of our time, and it just keeps getting better.
2: I know you were saying that Jordan was doing really good in your article. He had an awesome season. I mean, an awesome season. He's a great player. But the title of your article was, The Astros are fighting till the end. Are you, are you say, insinuating that the end is near for the Astros in this series? Well, they're down 2-0. I'm not
3: saying that the series is over. Anyone who has followed the Astros over the years knows this team actually thrives in this situation. They love being with their backs against the wall. It suddenly galvanizes them in some fashion. So I don't expect that it's over, and I was not going to say it's over. But when you're down 2-0, yes, you are facing... The possibility of going down 3-0 and if you're down 3-0 you're facing the likely end so i know people get bent out of shape about headlines and the time i knew eric but to me it seemed like a pretty reasonable headline i don't write them per se but i generally do take a look at them i didn't have any problem with it and the thing with the astros is also we need to recognize this on the road they are a different team than at home and they have not been a good home team they're below 500 at home for the year, including postseason. The record's 40 and 45. On the road, 50 and 31 during the regular season. And in Texas, at Globe Life Field, they are holy terrors. Six and one, with an average of nine runs per game. Their OPS is like 1,036, which is Shohei Ohtani territory. That's the whole team playing like Shohei Ohtani at Globe Life Field. So I do expect them to be better tonight, and we'll see what Christian Javier has. But this is a fascinating game because, obviously, you go down 3-0, there's only been one team in history to come back from that in Major League Baseball. Good call. And, I mean, same story. It's
0: do or die in Game 3 for the Diamondbacks, essentially. And I don't think anybody is counting them in at this point after seeing those first two games. So, speaking of headlines, in fair territory, I saw Bryce Harper's name and heard. Reggie Jackson, Babe Ruth, probably going to get some... blowback from fans how can you compare harper to legends of our sport and all that harper is becoming and not an instant legend he's been around in the league for a while but i mean he is like on path if they win a world series to be on that mount rushmore you know or a top icons in philadelphia sports figure history
3: scott when i was on my private jet flying from houston to dallas the other (laughs) night the one that aj arranged for me I had some time to look up some things, and I wanted to see how Harper does compare to guys like Babe Ruth and Reggie Jackson. I picked those two. Those are two of the October legends that we often refer to, and the numbers weren't exactly the same, but they certainly were comparable. You can have a conversation. And Babe Ruth, of course, only played in World Series. Reggie played in a lot more postseason games than either of those two guys, but If I'm not mistaken, Bryce has 15 home runs in the postseason. Reggie had 18 and Babe had 15. Now, granted, the games played were different and circumstances were different, but it's a conversation. And if you go to fair territory and you watch it or you listen to it, I go into greater detail about this. And the point I was trying to make is not that Bryce Harper is Reggie Jackson in October or Babe Ruth in October, but he is doing things that make you think, wow, how does he compare? And when you do the comparison, it's not as far off as you might think.
1: Ken, first of all, you know, you came on here the other day and said, oh, I'm going to post my little picture of me on the bus. I haven't seen a picture of you on the bus. Oh, you're right. I didn't fella. do that.
3: <laughs> yeah, yeah, I didn't do that. AJ, the bus was not a well-received hit. I'll just put it that way.
1: Oh. oh, so you don't like that. We always knew you didn't like bus rides. No, we it knew. wasn't. You, let me, you got off. Let me guess. You got off the bus and you made him get you a helicopter or a plane, didn't you?
3: <laughs> I didn't do that, but the bus had some shock absorber issues. Let's put it that way. It wasn't uh, a full bus. bus. That's
1: it was called the minor
3: league. It, was, it wasn't a minor league type bus. It wasn't a school bus, but it wasn't a great coach either. It was one of those smaller things. And... Let's just say it was a bumpy ride, and, and I didn't take the picture. You're right, because I was writing, and I forgot all about it. I Party apologize. bus, Party on bus. Way,
1: on the way back, you can take a picture.
3: All right. Maybe I'll take a plane.
1: Oh, <laughs> there it is. See, yep. What we, we always knew it. We always
2: Did it have it. a pole in the middle of it? I, I want to figure out what kind of bus, the, bus this was.
3: I can't describe it. 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 You know those vans people rent out when they have weddings and – They like a to
1: different places. Yeah, it
3: was kind of like that.
1: Oh, okay. Ken didn't have his own row of seats. That's why he wasn't comfortable. It's fine. We get it. (laughs) Ken, Ken, before we get to Kim Ng, why does nobody want the Red Sox job? Why why are they having such a hard time finding someone to take this job? It seems like a pretty good job. They're going to spend money. They have the fan base. They have Fenway Park. But why do they have such a hard time filling this job?
3: AJ, I wouldn't say that nobody wants it. Different people have different circumstances, and in the case of James Click and John Daniels, apparently they did not want to go and interview for family reasons. They just did not want to relocate, whatever the case might be. So, yes, it's an attractive job in many ways. However, every executive out there is aware that the Red Sox run through GMs like nothing else. They've had three in the last, I think, 12 years or 14 years, and two of them won World Series. And yet they were gone pretty soon after that. The other one was Heim Bloom. He went to the ALCS in 2021, didn't last two years after that. So that's one thing. The other thing is you take the Red Sox job, you're inheriting a manager, Alex Cora, who clearly has power in the organization, who has actually spoken of having aspirations of becoming a GM, though not at this particular time. That's one thing. You're also inheriting some people in the front office who have been there quite a while. High-level people, assistant GMs, all well thought of, but they're not your own if you're coming in as the new president of baseball operations. And I'm not saying it was a problem for Heimblum, but when you take one of these jobs, you want some control over who you have on your staff. And with the Red Sox, you're kind of having to accept a number of different people. So it's all those things combined. The trepidation that would seem to me to be the most valid would be the way they run through people. And that's obvious. It's on the record. It's clearly apparent to everyone in the game that ownership is fickle. They are reactionary to what's going on with the public. If the fans get uneasy, their ownership reacts, and it's not necessarily a healthy place for a president of baseball operations to be in. I have a lot of thoughts here and it turns
0: into questions. So one, I'm thinking actually about recent past with the Mets. The Mets were having trouble initially figuring out their front office situation and, you know, it ended up turning into Billy Epler, which now I think they've got their guy that they had their eye on for a long time. So I'm thinking that if the Red Sox want someone that's, you know, already got experience in a pedigree, they're probably going to have to overpay because you have to assume you might not make it through the contract or something like that, right? Or they're, you know, like you might not have a job in that position for a couple of years. The main thing I wanted to ask you about was that stood out to me, Alex Cora. We speak a lot about how the manager role has changed nowadays. I just find it fascinating, yes, that a team's going to keep a lot of their front office intact, and that already would piss someone off if they're coming in that they don't have say. But then the manager, almost every manager in baseball, correct me if I'm wrong, has definitely less say, less power, and has to really work hand-in-hand with the president of baseball ops or GM, whatever it is. So doesn't this almost seem old school where it's like, well, you have to deal with our manager, okay? He might call some shots that you don't wanna call. That's not how this works anymore, It does it?
3: In most cases, no. And Alex Cora is an accomplished manager. He's won a World Series and he's done some really good things. They've had some down years too, but I don't know that we can blame him for those down years. It is an unusual situation, Scott, the way you described it in today's environment. Does that mean that a president of baseball operations wouldn't want Alex Cora as his manager? No, it doesn't mean that. And this would not be the first head of baseball operations to inherit a manager. Happens all the time. But at the same time, it might give someone pause. It might. And I don't know how people approach these things. I'm not someone who's ever been in that position nor do I aspire to be in that position. But if I were going in, I'd say, hey, Where are we with Alex? Do I have to keep Alex for the duration of his contract? Can we maybe do some things differently? Can I have more say than perhaps Heimblum had, although Heimblum's had plenty of say? However the dynamic works and however you want it to work, you need to express that if you're incoming. And that is something that is going to have to be addressed, I'm sure, in all of the interviews. It's not that Alex Corey is a negative. It would be difficult for anyone to say that. But it's an interesting way that they have gone about it. And an interesting dynamic, as I said, for a new president of baseball operations to deal with.
2: So, how do we deal with the most, to me, what would be the most coveted GM now with Kim Ng and the situation that we is slowly unfolding day by day down in Miami?
3: Oh, it's not slowly unfolding, Eric. It unfolded real quick.
2: Okay, <laughs> it flapped out there.
3: <laughs> no, it, you, I know what you're saying though, and yeah. it's an unusual deal there and let's just look at this from the ownership perspective the last two times this team made the playoffs 2020 after the shortened season they make the playoffs president of baseball operations michael hill is gone 2023 they make the playoffs in a full season for the first time since winning the world series in 2003 general manager kim ing is gone i think that tells you all you need to know now clearly she wanted certain things different done differently And as a person in her position, she has that right to express it, particularly when she has had success. She also seemingly wanted an extension rather than the club just picking up her option. Yes, she has that right to ask for that when she has had success. And then when you tell her, Kim, nice job, but we're going to bring in a president of baseball operations over you so you'll effectively be the number two. I mean, you're hearing all you need to know if you're Kim A. So... This speaks to the Marlins, it speaks to their ownership, it speaks to, to me, a lack of vision. And also, one other thing I want to point out here, the Marlins didn't mind all the positive press when they hired Kim Ang. Oh, wow, what a progressive organization. How cool is it that the Marlins are hiring the first female general manager in Major League history? Well, that's fine, and they deserved it at the time, but hey, they deserve every bit of backlash they're getting for mistreating this person who is accomplished, who has done good things for the organization, who is well-liked in their organization. It wasn't like she was a tyrant and people oh, all, we can't stand Kim. No, she was highly respected. I don't know what they're doing.
1: Ken, why? Well, I feel like I know Brittany Giroli wrote the article about Kimming and, and what it you know means for the game and all that stuff. But this I, I feel like this hasn't been as big of a story as it should be. I think it's gotten kind of almost squashed a little bit. Maybe it's because of the playoffs. Maybe it's because of the time of the year. But other than on this show, I haven't heard a whole lot of people talking about this other than some random tweets here and there and article in the athletic by bridge Rolly, but it's been kind of squashed. Is that major league baseball doing that?
3: No, no. major league baseball does not control the entire media. They control some of the media, but It just is probably a reflection of the marlins and their place in the baseball ecosystem which is not very big but i agree with you aj this should be getting more attention and the one thing i'll say about our place the athletic we have the resources the people to cover everything and we do cover everything or at least we try to cover everything and Britt is one of our best writers and she felt strongly about this and wrote one a great news story on it and then two a great column saying, hey, good for Kim Aang, Basically, she did what she had to do. She wasn't going to take this BS, for lack of a better term. So I agree with you, AJ. This does need more attention. I will only say that a lot of outlets don't want to get dirty. Put it that way. I don't think they're controlled by MLB necessarily. They're not. But they don't have maybe the resources to do it and maybe the desire to do it. And that's on them. Do we know what the situation is
0: for the Marlins now going forward? Because we just covered how the Red Sox job isn't coveted. Holy shit. Hey, you're going to have limited resources in a market that does not do well in attendance. We don't have a winning track record. Oh, and if you make the playoffs, you're likely gone. We don't like that.
3: (laughs) Scott, I don't know. And you're right. It's a job that has less appeal in many ways than the Red Sox job. At the same time, it's one of 30. And I know I repeat myself when I say this, which I always say when a bad managerial job comes open or a bad GM job comes open, people will take the job because it's one of 30. It's a chance to make your mark. And in Kim's case, all right, she gets let go or she has a parting of ways, whatever you want to call it. But at the same time, she's an attractive candidate. She's done the job now. People know that she can do it. Not that there was much doubt before, but it's a clear track record. Someone will take the job, they'll get someone. Maybe they have someone internal in mind, though I don't know that they do. It will be filled. But again, it comes with a caveat, just like the Red Sox job it comes with a caveat. The caveat is, no guarantees here.
2: But weren't they bringing somebody in to be her boss, essentially, after she did a great job? Couldn't that person take her job? Or is that person that they were going to bring in be like that job would be beneath them.
3: Eric, I don't know that they've identified that person yet. Now their intent was saying
2: they would bring.
3: Yes. Their intent was to bring in a president of baseball operations over. Now, certainly if they had that person in place, yeah, you could do it that way. And who knows, maybe there's somebody they have in mind and it's somebody really attractive. I don't know, but that's not the idea here. The idea was to keep Aang for one more year under a new president of baseball operations. No guarantee beyond 2024. And she just said, no, I'm not doing that. You know, this is more of a point, Ken,
0: but it just speaks to how um, an organization will just veer towards whatever storyline they want to be out there. There are very few teams that cry poor as much as the Marlins over the last couple decades. And I actually believe some of it. You know, I've, I've been privy to some information behind the scenes on how their books look at times, okay? Not as, as shiny as some other teams. So you have an executive that leads you to the postseason, and then you want to hire someone above her. Those positions cost money. Those positions nowadays, president of baseball ops, cost it's seven figures. There's not yes. president of baseball operations, people in my mind, I'm, I'm, I'm a little bit guessing, but pretty educated, that are making a few hundred grand. These are multi million dollar jobs potentially, even for a team that's trying to be cheaper. So we're going to cry poor and then try and replace someone. It just it boggles my mind how the narrative can just shift to however they want it to shift. And ultimately, it, it comes down to like, hey, owners got some friends that say, you like analytics now. And, Um, you don't want some of those people to kind of be taken out of their jobs so you don't agree with this person. So do whatever you want and hire someone above her. It's ridiculous.
3: Well, we're talking about the Miami Marlins, a team with a history of odd behavior even under the previous ownership. I'm not sure exactly how to respond, Scott. I agree with you. You can't cry poor on one hand and then have to hire or want to hire a president of baseball operations over your GM on the other hand. I don't know that... They are poor. No, wait a second. I know they're not poor. No Major League Baseball team is poor. It's just a matter of how they want to spend their money. And they get money in revenue sharing. They get all kinds of money from the central fund and all of that. They have the money to hire a president of baseball operations and a GM. They have the money to have a better payroll than they do, I would imagine. There have been financial questions with Bruce Sherman, the owner. There's no question about that. But... This is not a situation where, oh, my gosh, they can't have a bigger front office. They could if they chose to. Now, that apparently was one of the issues here that actually Kimming wanted to get rid of some people and maybe they wanted to keep them. Again, we don't have all of the information here. We don't know exactly where Bruce Sherman's coming from. But why would you want to hire president of baseball operations in the first place over Kimming? You have on the business side someone running that. She's running the baseball side. I don't understand the logic of that. And I have not talked to Bruce Sherman, admittedly, about this. I've not asked him. I don't know that he would take my call. But that's a question that I'd surely would like to hear the answer to.
1: Ken, okay, my, my question is, you know, Wayne Heisinga, when he owned the Marlins, right, he took a lot of heat after 97, and they got rid of the team. OK, Jeffrey Loria, 2003, they win the World Series. He gets rid of the team. He took heat for 10-plus years for it, right? Chris Sherman, he's not taking anything for this, I don't feel like. It's kind of the same thing. Like, shouldn't he be having to answer questions about what they're doing and shouldn't he be taking more heat? I mean, we give the the A's owner all the time grief for the way he's running things. Shouldn't the Marlins owner, Sherman, be have to stand up there and answer questions and say why he fought, why Kim Ming left and why he didn't want her back and why he's doing all these things?
3: AJ, great point, and it goes back to your previous question. Why isn't this getting more attention? Should it be getting more attention I believe it should. Now, there are very few owners who get in front of microphones and explain what their thinking is. They release statements. You don't much see them, right? I can think of maybe a few that will speak, but there aren't many. Atenasio with the Brewers occasionally will do something publicly. But for the most part, and I'm sure there are others, for the most part, you don't see these guys. Jim Crane with the Astros is visible. He will speak at times, but it's just not done. and that's the way the teams are run. It's like these guys have their individual fiefdoms and they can do whatever they want, and often they're not held accountable. They're not held accountable by the league either. The league basically takes a laissez faire approach with the clubs, letting the clubs run themselves as they should. But sometimes you wonder if that's the best thing. If you wonder, like for instance, with the A's, should the league have stepped in? People have asked that question and they didn't. Well, that's the way the sport is run. I don't know that I have a good answer for why it's run that way, but that's just kind of where we are.
1: Okay, so what's better for the sport? NFL, you have like Jerry Jones. NBA, you have Mark Cuban and all these guys out there doing all these things. right? NFL, you see the owners. You see them out there doing it. MLB, you never see it. Steve what Cohen. Is- Steve, okay, Steve Cohen's the Steve only Cohen, one. Steve Cohen,
3: he's another one. No, okay, there he- are there are a few. And, AJ, but, I don't know – I don't know the NFL or the NBA well enough to know how many of their owners are really out front guys. It's just not something that owners like to do. And I guess if I owned the team, I would do whatever the heck I wanted to. It's my right. I bought the team. But certainly in this case, I would like to hear an explanation for why this went down the way it did. Why Bruce Sherman would not extend Kim Ang. Why he would not give her a longer contract. Why he wanted a president of baseball operations over her. Why he would not allow her to do certain things with personnel that apparently she wanted to do. These are all fair questions. These are all questions that should be asked. But if the guy is not going to answer them, there's not a lot that can be done.
0: This is my thing, because we went over this a lot yesterday too, that it's terrible optics for the league. It's a mark against the league. If you're an outsider to the sport and you see this storyline of the first female GM yes. and then how this is handled, it's awful. There should be something written, because if they just say it, it won't happen. Something should be written in the next CBA. You own a team. You're the controller. You're the one that shows up at the meetings and makes the decisions. You have to speak to the media X amount of times, period. Players, Good luck with like, that, Scott.
3: It'll I know happen. that. It'll I know happen. that. It will never happen. O- man, Acuna never
0: got happen. crushed the other day because he didn't speak after their playoff game. No, you're right. We-, we have people making massive, massive decisions for hundreds of people that really affect millions of people, and there's not a word. Then you shouldn't be allowed. I know. I know. I'm just complaining. But it's, it's absurd, and if we all care about our sport, it is, it is hurting anyone involved with the sport to not have an explanation on a story like this where we have to call it out and speculate.
3: That's very true. And all people ask in general is accountability. We ask that of the players. We ask that of the managers. We ask that of the GMs. We ask that of the media members, right? We want everyone to be accountable for what they do one way or the other. A number of owners, including Bruce Sherman in this case, to this point, are not accountable and it can drive you a little nuts and i hear what you're saying scott i'm with you believe me i'm with you we want people talking we want explanations because you know what often and this goes back even in the conversation we were having last week about reporters in the clubhouse often when you talk to somebody you get a different perspective you get their own perspective and you understand it a little bit perhaps or a little bit more why they made the decision they did when there is this vacuum as there is right now as you just said scott All people can do is speculate and wonder what the heck was going on here. And that's not healthy. Now, I don't know how you solve this. I don't know that it is solvable. But the problem you guys are identifying is a legitimate problem. And it's something that, yes, should be discussed. Yep,
0: we're pissed off about it. I did some interviews for uh, that are coming out over the next few days for some other publications and made sure I mentioned it because someone's got to talk about it. So um, thanks, Ken. We'll we'll be back on with you tomorrow. Good stuff, guys. Thanks. Thank you. And and you can catch Ken, of course, on ALCS Game 3 on Fox and more of his thoughts on fair territory that just came out yesterday. Fresh topics, including the Rangers in Philly spending well, Evan Carter, more on this Kim In conversation. And coming up next, the viral hit of the week is literally a hit in Philly. Back on FT Live on Stadium, Bron Perzinski, Kratz, and your baseballer viral hit. Hit. Hit of the week. So, of course, cue the Eagles fans saying, sign this dude up. So, baseballer posted a fan running on the field in Philadelphia in the outfield. Players were nearby. And the caption is simple. This fan got wrecked. All caps on wrecked. That is how it's done. Do you got, you know what I thought of right away? The situation in Colorado with Acuna and how that didn't happen. You need Terry Tate, office linebacker. It should say that on the resume when you're applying for a security job. That is how you take someone out. And even if you're like, "Oh, just innocent fan being stupid." No. Everyone's a security threat when they run on the field. They deserve to get smoked. Full stop. Yeah.
1: No drop. Yeah, I mean. Kill, not kill him, kill but like him. I mean, not get not him. him. Get him. Don't yeah, say sorry. Go. Get I mean, him. Sorry. Kill <laughs> him is the wrong. I don't mean to kill him, but you know what I'm saying? Sports like, I get it. Crush him. Crush him. Yeah. Absolutely. 100%. You, you're an idiot if you run on the field and you deserve whatever you get. So don't run on the field. And, don't be an idiot. And just take your tackle and go get handcuffed and get a little beat down in the office and come out a better person. <laughs>
2: he, yes, you got to take him to the back, the back crevices of Citizens Bank and put him in the jail that they used to have in Veterans Stadium. I mean, he hit him so hard that Soto fell. Soto and Alvarado, you see Alvarado laughing in the background, but. So, I mean, whack-a-mole, just done. Soto fell over like he thought that was hilarious. <laughs> but again, again, that's like they're too close to the players. Somebody needs to be there before they get that close to the players. I don't think the f- players were afraid. But you know what? We're going to be on here one day when something worse happens.
1: And Remember remember when Casey? the guy. Kratzy, remember when the guy in uh, Chicago jumped and fought the first be- base coach for Kansas City? Yeah. I mean, that was like the worst one ever. Like, remember, he jumped on the field and then he... Didn't he have a knife or something? I don't think he had a knife, but... Who, uh, I forget who loses. the first base coach for the Royals was, but man, it was a melee. Yeah. after It that. was awful.
0: It was awful. And that's why every single time there's someone on the field that should not be on there. Oh, Tom Gamboa, oh. right?
1: Yes, that's who it was, Gamboa. Oh, great wow. guy, too, by
0: the way. He, great guy. He ended up later on, because I, I did Brooklyn Cyclones games back in the day for SNY, and he was the manager there for a minute or two. But um, anyway, that is what should be done and that is what should yes. be shown. I know yeah. that, I mean, the one other thing I, I thought about on this is I, I know you don't want to put them on TV. I guess, you know, there's smarter people behind the scenes that are like, if you publicize this, if you televise this, and back in the day, there was no social, then there will be copycats. Now, I don't think anyone even cares that much because usually it's someone like, I mean, usually it looks like a freaking college kid that's running on the field. I don't even think they care about the TV part. I think they care about the social media part. I've seen people running on the field and they're holding their phone like doing selfies. It's ridiculous, right? And yes, it it is a criminal act. You are going to jail or you are at least going to the station and there is a problem there and you should be um, punished for what you're doing. But... I don't think the TV part is, you know, holding people back anymore because it still goes viral.
2: It does, but you gotta, you got to see. Like, they need – fans need to see this. Like, yes. do, do not go on the – AJ, do not run on the field. Like, did you see that dude in Philly get decapitated? Do not run on the field. AJ will be like, eh, there's no security in Chicago. I'll run on the field there. Maybe make a catch.
1: Maybe. Uh, yeah, what was it, Eric Burns that grabbed the guy? Remember the guy in Oakland? I think he tried to jump over the fence, and Eric Burns like, grabbed him off the fence and pulled him down for security. They did that in
2: – Pap did that. True story. We just had Pap on yesterday. Pap did that in Philly. A dude was running through the field, and he was trying to climb up, you know, that short fence there in front of Philly's bullpen? He was trying to climb up over that? Dude, Pap just came full forearm shiver, knocked him right back over the other side of the fence. He was like, he's like, you ain't getting up here. And Pap was already, you know, it was a sixth, seventh inning. Pap's already beamed out. So he's all ready to go. And he was like, you ain't getting up here. You ain't getting up here. It was, it was great. Dude <laughs> was like, why is Jonathan Pap attacking
1: me? Do we think that Pap remembers that?
2: Uh, yes. Because he probably <laughs> yes. caught on video.
1: Eventually. Like, eventually. Let's go, Pap. <laughs> Listen, after three hours of him last night, there's a good chance he, there's a lot of things he doesn't remember. <laughs> the The there most famous
0: one too, you know, Rick Monday, the right, oh, yeah, the fan the
1: with the American flag, and, and he grabbed it. So, yeah, which was one of the coolest cool moments? Chris Chambliss, remember Chris? Like back in the eighties, seventies, and eighties, like the fans celebrated with the players. And there's a famous video: of Chris Chambliss hit the home run, and he's like, "If you watch him run off the field, Reggie did it too." Like they're just like truck-sticking dudes, right? They're yeah. like, "Ooh." <laughs> Boom. And I remember talking to Chris Chambliss about the home run because he was a coach with the White Sox. And if you watch him, he rounds the bases with the Yankees, and he hits home plate, and, like, there's a million fans on the field. And, again, he's just like, boom, boom. And I'm like, Chamby, what were you thinking? He's like, I just had to get to the clubhouse door. I just had to get in the door because I knew once I got in the door, we could lock the door and no one could get in. But he's like, people were trying to hug me. He's like, I wasn't about that. And he just was like, whoo, forearm shiver. Boom. Tackle. Boom. It was great. Those were the days, man. Just crushing, dudes.
0: I know this is an unpopular take, but I think there will be a point where college sports gets rid of all of that because it's it just seems dangerous, right? You're Ow. storming the field in football. What do you mean, how?
2: How? How do you get rid of it? They're already they're already finding schools. Schools haven't put up enough security or anything like that. It's sixty thousand people wanting to get over the fence.
0: Don't play the games, or they forfeit. They, they lose the games. It'll change. I'm
1: just being dumb. That would never happen. They would never let that happen. There's too much cash. Did you see the security guard? I don't know what game it was. The security guard was, like, trying to stop people, and then he just, they just all juked him so bad he, like, fell over. And over he, pushed that. The, he pushed the one,
2: all he pushed was yeah. one girl, and she looked at seen... him like, like, what's your problem, bro? And he's like, oh, yeah. he, he couldn't move at all. That was great. <laughs> <sighs>
0: bsblr.com if you want to get some swag and also check them out the baseballer on ig for more of those viral moments we break them down every single week and let's just spend a couple minutes here on the alcs while we have a moment you know the one thing i'm thinking about aj is that even if the astros make some noise now in arlington the key of the entire series for them i mean i technically have two i know i mentioned kyle tucker quite a bit he's got to get going but even bigger Fran Valdez has to figure it out, and maybe that's just not the case for him this year, but we've seen, you know, obviously a, a few flashes of brilliance, but really most of his starts, like, it, it's hard to say, like, oh, he's back, or oh, this was a good one, because, I mean, sometimes you're, you know, facing a weaker lineup, or they're just, you know, not hitting the ball where it should be going. Even the other day, I mean, a lot of those first few knocks could have been out, but they weren't, and in my mind, I mean, he's going to have to pitch again in this series and be much better than what we saw. He wasn't fooling anyone. So I'm already thinking ahead that if the Astros are going to actually take this series, sure, they can make some noise and come back. But if they're going to take this series, I think Framber Valdez is going to have to pitch well in that game. I mean, yeah, sure, technically they could, they could lose his game and then win all of the rest. But I don't know. I'm, I'm worried about him. That's, that's who I'm fading too when I've watched him in the playoffs right now.
1: Well, not only him, but do we trust the Astros if they win two games and go back to Houston? With Valdez pitching game six? You're saying
0: because it's home?
1: Yeah, because they're off, they're 40 and 44 at home this year. The the home road thing
0: blows my mind. I mean, I know that ballparks are different, batter's eye is different, but like, did did you guys feel like, like, did you guys ever have really big years of of home road splits where you're like, damn, my numbers are twice as good at home versus on the road or vice versa? Because, you know, like, that becomes a thing you had? We,
1: and i think in 2005 our home road splits were crazy good for on the road which we were like this is weird and it doesn't make any sense we won everything on the road we won the world series on the road we won both division the both lcs and division series on the road we won we clinched the division on the road our home our home road numbers we were good at home but we were better on the road and people were like why are you better on the road and i all and we were all like well because we just hang out more on the road than we do at home and we just have a better vibe but um, you can't really explain home road at I think you're kind of like it. Normally you always play better at home because it's just more comfort when you get home. But, you know, the Astros this year are such a good team. You just wouldn't think they'd be this bad at home, especially a place they've just owned over the years.
2: Yeah, because, yeah, the whole batter's eye thing, who knows if that's really a thing. But ultimately it comes down, you said Valdez, I think Christian Javier because he has an opportunity. This is – this is going to go to game seven. This is not if if the Astros have a chance. The Astros aren't going to win the next four, in, in my opinion. So this comes down to Christian Javier. What does he show tonight? Is he the dominant if he is the oh. dominant postseason strikeout pitcher that he is? Because clearly they need strikeouts, because you can't you can't get by without, you know, with them, with letting the Rangers put the ball in play. You saw what happened with Framber. But you need those punch outs and he's gonna come back and throw game seven. To the point, do you even throw him for three innings in game six, or there may not be a game seven if Framber's not if Framber's not who Framber needs to be.
0: That's true. That's a good point. And they do have youngsters too. I mean, I know, you know, we didn't see the same what, Hunter Brown and JP France towards the finish line, but they are there. I mean, no.
2: No, I I think – I'm Hunter not saying Brown, the
0: start, but like to those dudes can go multiple innings as a backup option, you know. I think – well, France – did France pitch the other day in one of those no, games? Or
1: no. was that last series?
0: He, he didn't pitched.
1: In, he didn't pitch in the DS. I know that. Then it no, was in this pitched, series, right? He just pitched in this series. He pitched yeah. in this series
2: towards the end of the game. But my thing, my thing is, if you're sitting there going, oh, man, well, Hunter Brown or J.P. France, nothing against those guys – I really like Hunter Brown. I think what he did this year, I felt like he really started figuring out how to strike guys out early. He was having success, but wasn't striking a lot of guys out. And then he started striking more guys out. And then he hit a period where he's a little tired. He he seemed like he was tired from watching from afar. And I just don't think you can say, wow, like we got this game. We're going to go right to Hunter Brown and JP France, and we're going to get through four innings. I'm not saying they can't pitch, but I'm saying it is a different—it's a different animal than—and this is why we talked about it. All the innings your starters starters can give you help you get to those big-time high-leverage guys in the end of your bullpen. And you guys say though the
0: high leverage in the Astros bullpen is deeper than the Rangers high leverage.
2: Yes or no? Totally. Yeah. Yes. But the Rangers high leverage hitters right now are way deeper than the Astros high leverage hitters. The Rangers are unstoppable right now as far as being – that's why Christian Javier needs to figure out a way to keep the ball off the barrel. And the only way he does that, it's not weak contact. It's normally swings and misses up at the top of the zone. And if he can keep that curveball, outer half. Just watch all arm side. If that curveball starts leaking to the middle, middle end to those lefties or away to those righties, it's going to be bad news bears.
0: Hmm. I mean, the offense was great during the regular season. Sure, I, Some people are like, oh, it was cons- inconsistent. I'm like, the, they led the American League and run
1: scored. Yeah, they bashed They bashed a lot of people. But, you know, if we're listen, here's the thing. Dusty Baker doesn't want to use J.P. France. He wants he wants Javier Arquidy. Hunter Brown is an early weapon for him because he has no lefties. And when you talk to him about Hunter Brown, he knows he can get righties and lefties out. So he uses him in that role as – give me three outs, give me an inning, give me four outs at some point, like if you need to in the sixth inning. So the fact that we're talking about Hunter Brown and J.P. France, if they have to pitch too much in this series, the yep. Astros are going home. It's yep. irrelevant. If, if Javier, Urquidy, and Verlander the next three games can't win two of them and, and give them deep, deep outings, meaning going into at least the sixth, if not the seventh inning, the Astros are going home before they get back to Houston.
2: Mm-hmm. Agreed. Agreed. And this Rangers lineup – well, you know, I don't know why we keep there's so many there's so many storylines that we keep like saying, well, is this the Rangers lineup or is the other one? This is the Rangers lineup probably 3 quarters of the season where they just bludgeon teams. And on the same hand, we keep betting against the Astros. And that's kind of what I meant by that question to Ken earlier. Everybody keeps betting against the Astros. Tonight, I like plus plus 120 money for the Astros to win. I don't know why, maybe I'm stupid by saying it, but I really like I really like seeing what they're doing and I think I think the whole globe life thing is a real thing cuz there is a ton of runs and they were not getting fooled by anything in the videos that I watched them hitting in globe life.
0: Well, we said this when they were struggling and AJ is the one that can speak to it the most because he was boots on the ground multiple times during that situation, and we all know it was just really simple. It was AJ's fault, and they just needed him to stop calling Rangers games, and once that happened, everything was fine, you know? <laughs> Clearly, you were pissing them off. No, but seriously, I mean.
1: <laughs> yeah, they won one game I did this year, asshole. <laughs> they- and then, it was funny, is the game they won against the Twins, they were all like, hey, when are you back? Because we haven't won. They had lost a bunch of games. They were like, we need you back, we need you back, and then I lost. they lost the next game. And like,
0: okay, you can leave again. <laughs> Get out of here. <laughs> again, which we one is us. it?
1: You want me or you not want me?
0: It wasn't you. But I mean, Adolis was hurt. And also, I mean, Seeker missed time, you know, towards the beginning of the year, but I don't think anybody anticipated this from Evan Carter. It's really hard to predict how rookies are going to look, right? Is there anything tougher in terms of forecasting than predicting how a rookie is going to fare in the bigs? In my mind, that is one of the toughest things to predict. Not long-term, instantly, right? Instant failure for Mike Trout when he first came up. Instant failure for Aaron Judge when he first came up. And they end up being the faces of the sport, like franchise players, right? Um, Jordan Lawler came up for the Diamondbacks. They're like, oh, maybe he's going to be good. It wasn't there yet, right? And small sample size, but who knows? Like Jordan Lawler could have been Evan Carter when he comes up. But Evan Carter comes up, and he's a force in the postseason. Like, you can't really predict that. And the dude is playing like I don't know a, a five-six win player or something like that. Like he's playing like an, an all-star plus player for a team that did not expect that. You can't tell me you expected that. They were like, "Oh, we got dudes hurt. We need a boost.
2: Let's call up Carter." Right? H- how do you expect that? But who's who's what? What's the level of success according to Scott Brown? Success was Ellie De La Cruz, what he did. Now look at the end of the season. Was it still successful? So, so I would need more like context. Do you, th- do you say, is somebody going to come up and have a hot month? To me, I'm choosing a guy that is like Evan Carter, that controls the strike zone as much as, you know, you're going to hear full count Carter every single time he gets the full count. That's a real thing. Like the guy has almost plus walks to strikeouts, in his career, and he's 21 years old, in the minor leagues. Those are things that don't they, – they they translate so well. Not in the lower-level minor leagues. Guys that just walk in the lower-level minor leagues, you need some damage because those guys are just waiting them out because there's a lot of guys that can't can't throw three strikes before they throw four balls. And I think it's something that he's shown that with that, with his ability to take walks – he also has rel- relentless, ridiculous speed. And I would love to see him out there every day, not just against righties. But, you know, that's that's what Bo- Bochy's kind of doing because they have sexy Grossman. So you're saying the, the biggest impact
0: in your mind when you're evaluating how quickly a rookie can contribute is play discipline?
2: Obviously for a he position has to have player other skills.
0: I understand. Have, but I'm saying but is that like the, the separator there where you're like you're looking at a player and saying, hey, this dude still has a lot of work to do with strike zone awareness and that makes him
2: a lot more volatile in terms of like a stock and how he'll do right away. if he has a ton of strikeouts out of the zone if you're if you're not walking, but you're making a ton of contact, that's completely different. I think I think that's the other end of the spectrum for me of guys that come up and have success. Because big league pitchers in in general throw strikes and guys that hit the ball really well in the sense that they have good hand-eye coordination, bat-to-ball skills, they have success also. So it's not just guys who control the zone, but those are precursors. So it's, you know, if if a guy strikes out, let's say a guy strikes out 100 times and walks 20 times, to me, that's too many strikeouts in the minor leagues. It's only going to go up in the big leagues, and there's going to be less chance of success because you're not going to get those dudes that are throwing ninety to ninety-two three of the five games of a series.
0: So, I mean, I thought of another dude for a recent example, Edward Julian of the Twins. Control right, the zone. controls the zone. Comes up. This is his rookie year. I think age can factor in sometimes too, like. Julian's 24 years old. Like, you're a man at that point. You're not, you know, 20. Although we've seen instant success sometimes from, I guess, like Soto, right? Coming up right away and contributing, which is another good Controlling example. Controlling the zone. Controlling the zone. So, because, I mean, Julian this year in about a half a season's ABs, a little more. three. I mean, four hundred actually, 408 plate appearances. Just so many walks. It makes the ABs look small. But played in 109 games. 381 on base percentage. 263 batting average. Okay. so and, and it could be a guy that doesn't have the highest ceiling on the planet, but the floor is higher in terms of what he's going to look like right away. It's the
2: antithesis of AJ and I. It's the opposite. <laughs> we didn't walk. AJ got a lot of hits. AJ had a lot of hand-eye coordination,
1: but we didn't walk. Put the ball. AJ, play. you
0: didn't walk. Why are you looking I didn't walk at, at all. Him funny? Why are you looking at him like he made applesauce this morning? Yes, he,
1: yeah, exactly. Well, because he did. But besides <laughs> that, he... he I'm like, we're like me and cracks. Like say what?
2: AJ doesn't want to be
1: lumped into. <laughs> I'm not a grinder. I'm, I'm not mean. a grinder. I don't grind. You're definitely not a grinder. I mean, I'm not. Did a grinder. you,
0: did you have instant success, AJ?
1: Uh, well, I went up and down a bunch of times. Does that count? I mean, I went up and down and up and down and up and down.
0: But like when you, I well, and that can be explained differently sometimes too. I mean, guys can still be shipped up and down for other reasons. Um, but when you were up there, like,
1: were your numbers pretty good? I did fine. And then, I okay. so, like, well, I mean, I got, like, 10 at-bats my first time. And then I got, like, 20 at-bats my second time. And then the last time I came up, I think I started, I want to say, one for 17, one for 18. And I was like, oh, God, I'm going to get sit down again. And then we faced Steve Sparks. and My world changed. What happened? He did great. Scott, he did great.
2: He, he hit. And all you had, people were like, oh, small right sample size. Right here.
1: Wow, that's yeah, incredible. That,
2: that's when it started? Four for four.
1: That was I still, every, to... time, every time I see Steve Sparks still, when we do the Astros, I'm like, thank you. Thank you, Steve. You saved my career.
2: <laughs> thank you, Steve. But it's <laughs> like, like Pete Orr. Pete Orr, I don't know if anybody remembers that name. Yeah. He's a journeyman kind of guy. Awesome. Canadian, played for the Phillies. Canadian, athletic, steals bases, left hand hitter. Anyway, he's like, not everybody's a superstar. He goes... When you get your chances, you have to do well. And people are going to say, well, AJ is a small sample size. Here's his batting average when he first got called up. As a 21-year-old, and he goes 21 to 25 years old when he made his first All-Star game. 300, 273, 307, 289, 300 All-Star game. Okay? He's established by then. They win a World Series three years after that. He goes 312, 272, 272. 257 was his worst year in his first six years there. So it doesn't matter. Like, if you come up, that to me, that's success. He had success his first year in 10 at-bats going three for 10. You can't take that away from him. If he goes 0 for 10, everyone's going to sit there and go, he's not ready, he doesn't have the power, look at some of his mind. You know, they they build the narrative. He did everything he could. So to me, that's success. The next year, he had 22 at-bats, 273, success. He couldn't be do anything honest. else. <clears throat> Kratz,
1: I'll be honest with you, I wasn't ready, uh, and that's fine. But, but I was there. But I wasn't. Uh, you listen. You you get called up or you get put in the spot. And I was up at twenty one, and <clears throat> we have David coming on, and we we'll, we talk a little bit about us being in the minor leagues together and some other things. But my first big league game I get to play in, we're in Anaheim. I go into the game, we're down like I don't know ten to two in like the seventh inning. They're like, "Hey, you know, go catch." And I'm like, "Oh boy." So I go out there, and next thing you know, it's like 10 to 8 with the bases loaded and Ortiz is up, and I'm on deck, and I'm going, oh, my God. Like, I'm going to have a chance here to – and he made it out, and I I was kind of like, whew, okay, I'm glad that wasn't me, right? But David, you know, David made the out. I was mad because we lost, but at the same time, like, I wasn't ready to be there.
2: No chance. No chance. And that's what impresses me about guys like Juan Soto or Evan Carter right now It started this whole conversation. Evan Carter jumping into the postseason – I remember looking at Brandon Finnegan. He was like, he had pitched in a college world series and we're in the world series. And this dude's like, I'm ready to go. If I had been up in the big leagues at 21 years old, it would have, it would have ended so fast. There's, I was not ready at all, but that's why time in the minor leagues, especially for catchers is super important because you're a lot's expected of you. And if you have to learn that in the limelight, is really tough to do. Mm-hmm. Uh, by the way, this is just random
0: because we have a few minutes because we're going to talk to Seawalt first and then uh, Poppy. What I, I had this in my notes, AJ, because we forgot to get to it because we ran out of time. I think it was yesterday or the day before. You said, Don't let me finish this show without telling you the Billigmeier bullpen oh, catcher God. story. Mick Billmeier. <laughs> Mick Billmeier.
1: Yeah, Mick Billmeyer. Oh, so we talked about Steve Sparks. Okay, so Kratz, you're gonna you're gonna love this story. Get called up to the big leagues, Anaheim. Right, I'm sitting out in the bullpen, out in right uh, left center, and the bullpens used to are stacked like this, right? The the visitor, and they might they've switched them, but it was the visitor was on top and the home was at the bottom. Okay, Steve Sparks is pitching, throwing a bullpen, and Bill Meyer was catching him in Anaheim. Okay, and he's missing every ball. Throwing, but Steve Sparks, those knuckleballs, right? And Bill Meyer's missing them. And they're hitting him in this mask, and they're hitting him in the chest, and they're hitting him in the arm. And there's this one teenage kid that stands up, and he's right behind the visiting the, the visiting bullpen. And he's like, You fucking suck. You suck, catcher. What are you doing? And Bill Meyer, you can see him. He's like looking at him, and he's trying not to pay attention. But after about five minutes of him just telling him he sucks, he finally's like, Shut up. Shut up, kid. Shut up. I'm going to come up there. And then he, he's like, oh, you're not going to do anything. You suck. I can catch better than you. I can catch better than you. And so Sparky's like, one more. And the kid's like, oh, you suck. You suck. He's still screaming out, Last pitch, I swear to God. Sparks throws a knuckleball. It hits Bill Meyer right in the face. Boom. Because he missed it. He takes his mask off, throws it, takes his glove, throws it, jumps over the little fence, goes up the stairs into the stands. The kid's sitting there. He had a hoodie on. I wish I had a hoodie. He had a hoodie on. And Bill Meyer gets in his face. He's like, what are you going to say now? You're not going to say anything because I'm here. Say something to me now. You scared little kid. And the kid's like, what and, then, <laughs> and then our bullpen coach runs up, grabs him, pulls him back. Down. I mean, God, he ended up getting like, go, obviously. But that was like my first day in the big leagues. And I'm like, oh, this is how the big leagues work. You can just jump in the stands and go fight people. Like, this is amazing.
2: Mick is a legend, legend. One of the, one of the, I mean, stories galore story. And I never even heard that story. I never heard that oh. story about how he got fired from LA. He did tell oh. me, he's like, he's like, well, some things happened. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. So All I right. see
1: him in Philly years later and I, and I finally put two and two together and I was like, wait, you're the guy. And he's like, what? I go, you're the guy that jumped in the stands. He's like, you were there for that. And I was like, that was like my first day in the big leagues. I never thought, I was like, what does the world come to? He's like, I can't <laughs> believe somebody actually saw that and remembers it. I'm like, I was, yeah, it was me. I was there. And Rick Stone, maze at God rest of his soul, jumped up in the stands and grabbed him and pulled him back down into the bullpen. But he's like, what are you going to do now? I'm right here. Say it to my face, kid. You said it. You're scared. What are you going to do to me? And the poor kid in the hood, he's just like, he's like sucking his thumb. He's like, <laughs> <laughs> need that. Uh, need it, but you know, before cell phones, before you know, before social media, but now yeah,
0: I wouldn't think. that wouldn't go well, no. But back days. then, it was great. I mean, you it is hilarious, it. right? <laughs> like, it is the definition of say it to your chest to a fan, right? Oh, yeah, I mean, uh, how many fans yell at players, oh, I'll kick your ass, or oh, how many homies you got this year? Oh, four, oh, your joke, you know,
1: okay. Right. Oh, yeah, he no, he, he he said it with his chest, and then he did not say another word after he got his face. <laughs> his
0: chest disappeared.
1: Oh, it was great. It was so awesome. I, if that fan is out there watching, I want to know what your name is because it was awesome.
0: No chance. No chance. <laughs> they probably, we probably lost a fan that day. Probably picked another sport at that point. He probably <laughs> at that
1: point. No, that
2: dude's a troll.
0: Troll's going to troll. All right. We're a little overtime, but what's on
2: your head? Oh. Old... Found these today when I went over to my parents' house. I found another stack of like six hats. One Dunedin Blue Jays hat. I found I had a bunch of other ones that weren't like this, like BP ones and everything. The old big Dunedin Blue Jays. Still high A. Well, I guess now it's low A of the Blue Jays. But a lot of teams changed. This one hasn't. Nobody has more Blue Jays hats, Blue Jays alternates, Blue
0: Jays BP, the whole deal. Than Aerocrats. you've got them I had all no dude. idea seven yeah.
2: years i mean all the years that i played i didn't spend any more time than in the blue jays organization so and as much as they moved me they were like hey here's another hat oh you got sent up here you gotta be there for three days oh getting sent back down here's your other hat so i can't believe i didn't have one of these in my house anywhere <laughs> i didn't actually play this season very much i was on the fan of so maybe i was pissed and i threw the hat away at some point when we get through
0: all of them, I want to see them all laid out on, on the ground or something like that. And you just like fall back in them. Um, FT is back on Thursday. I'll be at Todd Father's spot. Hannah Kaiser is going to join us. Ken's back again. More guests to be announced as usual. And we'll see everyone then. And also make sure you catch the rest of that Big Poppy interview on Legends Territory. See ya Thursday. Have fun watching ALCS Game 3. Hey, get in on the action with the FT fam at BetMGM. New customers use the bonus code FOUL, F-O-U-L, for a $1,500 first bet offer. Download the BetMGM Sportsbook app on iOS or Android or visit BetMGM.com. Sign up and deposit at least $10 into your BetMGM Sportsbook account. Place your first wager and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if the bet loses. If that bet does lose, your bonus bets will be available once your initial wager is settled. Gambling problem or concern? Call 1-800-GAMBLER.